Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, if this is your first time here at Hill City, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and grateful uh, you're spending a part of your Sunday here with us. We are in this series called Embody, and in essence, we are taking a look at what it means to be human, uh, to fully appreciate our humanity, to embrace our humanity, but to, to really begin to um, make sure we aren't becoming desensitized to the reality that we have breath in our lungs and to discover what it means to have this fullness of life. And uh, it's critical, like we've, again, it's, you know, we said this every week, but there's, we've had New Year's goals and those are all good, but, but unless we like, understand where the fullness of life comes from and what it means to be fully human, uh, like, none of those things actually matter. Like there's something far deeper that's transpiring here. And so we've been taking a look at a lot of different elements of what that begins to look like. And the tagline we've had for the entire series is simply this, that we embody whatever we worship. Uh, we embody whatever we worship. And so every person in this room worships something. Uh, and if you're a, a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, uh, ideally we, we worship who? Jesus. Good job. So much better than last week, you guys, where you <laughs> utterly failed me on an epic proportion. But there, uh, the reality is we base the, our, the centering point of our lives is, is Jesus. Like that's the heart of it. And when that is true, and that's like in, embedded inside of us, then what comes out of us is the life and the teachings of Jesus. We em, embody what he taught. When something else gets into the center of our being, uh, then something else comes out. And in those moments, we are telling everyone as we're living our lives and as we're talking and, and even the thoughts that are in our head, we are, we are telling everyone what we think it means to be human. And so we're, we're kind of wrestling with all these different components of it. And we've taken a look at uh, several different things so far with being made in the image of God. And, and then last week we were talking about uh, generosity and this idea of the blessing and the curse. And that this idea of blessing means to be fruitful and to multiply and, and what that begins to, to look like. And we'll take a look at things like sexuality and attachment theory and, and uh, reconcil reconciliation and our physical bodies. Those things are all coming up here in the next uh, month or two. And, uh, but last week when we talked about uh, blessing or curse, we, we all agreed that, uh, is, is that greed, is it a blessing or a curse? Curse, right? Like, so we, we all agree that, that that is true and that um, what it means to embody the reality and the teachings and the life of Jesus, that we are a blessing to one another. We are generous to one another. And, and what comes out of us in that is like, oh, this massive multiplication and this fruitfulness that begins to come out of our lives. And, and we can start seeing that, like even in our community, if this is your home community, this is your home church, it's like we are supposed to be a blessing to one another, generous to one another, and that's why we are part of this together. We become part of the storyline that's happening here. And so this idea of blessing and curse is actually pretty important, I think, and the language is important to understand because that's how the Bible talks about it. And we choose to be a blessing or we choose to be a curse. Uh, even last week when we got home, uh, Max and Nevaeh, they were eating lunch and uh, Max had uh, Chipotle, uh, Nevaeh didn't. And, uh, and, and Nevaeh says, hey, can I have one of your chips? And Max like pauses for a second and is, I don't, was he going to give one? I don't know. But, uh, but he pauses and, and Nevaeh says, uh, do you want to be a blessing or a curse? <laughs> and so... Um, which, I mean, respect for that re response, and, and Max chose to be a blessing. And so, uh, so it's like, it's important, even like the language is important in terms of like how we talk and, and understanding the weight of it. 
And, and that's part of like what I'm trying to get us to understand with like our humanity in the way that the Bible talks. It's like, man, there's a lot of weight to this. And, and so to, to understand the language of blessing and curse becomes so important uh, that it's not just the casual language to be used and to understand that, man, our interactions, our words, everything, they're a blessing or a curse. And many of you guys, when we talked about generosity last week, uh, many of you guys like hopped in for the first time and just like, you know, I'm going to be a consistent giver. I'm going to choose a percentage. And thank you for that. Thank you for being a part of this story. Thank you for being a part of one another's story and choosing to be a blessing in that. Uh, is deep connection a blessing or a curse? It's a blessing. Deep connection with one another is, is a blessing. I was thinking about how, uh, if you, if, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, they, there's this, I don't know what it's called, or, or, but there, I saw this video clip a couple years ago where they would take these strangers and they would put them in this blank room and they would sit, like it was just two people in the room and it was like a light shining out, and they would sit in silence just staring at each other, like oddly close to one another. And minutes would go by, and they didn't know anything about each other, but minutes would go by, and then people would just start weeping, like weeping. And uh, it was like example after example after example of, of this happening. And um, at one point, one of, the, one of the people actually, they started dating and got married. Um, but uh, uh, I'm not saying that's how you do it, but there's... Uh, <laughs> But I was like watching this video and, and I was thinking to myself, man, like the need for humans to have deep connection is so powerful. And it can happen in silence, like just staring at one another. That there's something that we're hardwired for, for this deep connection with one another. And, and we don't get that all the time. We have a loneliness epidemic. You know, you have... Uh, you know, the younger generations, everyone's facing it, but uh, the younger generations are the, the, the loneliest generations in the history of the world. And so just like process that for a second. One, as, as parents and as community, the, the need uh, to understand, like to help like younger folks get, get connected um, now, it's, again, it's impacting millennials and Gen Xers and, and boomers as well. Um, but man, when we're looking at, the, if we really care about the next generation, we ought to understand what it means to have a community that has deep connection with one another so they see it and experience it. And there's a lot of that here in our community to be celebrated. And, but the, it becomes so critical. Uh, in 2015, psychologists came up uh, with this term called uh, touch deficiency syndrome. That um, it is an epidemic in all ages right now that um, we don't, uh, uh, they were talking about how we don't like high five enough, we don't shake hands enough, we don't hug enough, like we're not around each other enough. And because I get it, like some stuff has happened, like, you know, but, uh, but this, this was transpiring before COVID. So this was coined before COVID even happened. And so you could imagine then how that became like a bigger deal. Uh, but we all need, I think Lacey says this, uh, is it eight hugs, Lace, that you need a day? Uh, she, Lacey always says this to our family. I, I don't even know if this is true, so you might want to fact check this, but like, she's, she always tells us that we all need eight hugs a day to simply get by. Is that right, Lace? To, to get by. And how many to thrive? Twelve. And so, um, like, I don't know if like a hugger came up with that stat or, or what, but, <laughs> but what we need is like, we, we need contact. We need uh, uh, to, to be in each other's presence, and you need this kind of connection. Like, we desperately need it. 
Like we're designed for it. It's part of our humanity. It's part of how we begin to embody what it means to be human. But what, what transpires is because we are so content and desensitized to how dehumanization works, we think it's fine to be alone. We think it's fine to, to not uh, have like uh, personal and physical contact with people. We, we think, oh, it's just the way that the world is. Even uh, I was recently like talking with someone and I asked them if they were in the office or if they, they work remotely. And they're like, ah, we work rem- remotely. And I was like, do you miss the office? And, and they said, well, it's just the way it is now. It's like we just kind of all work our own separate ways and we're not really uh, we used to be around each other all the time but we're not in contact with one another I was like that's sad and I get it like there's some beauty to having some flexibility like we have some here on our staff but I can't imagine like being okay with just always being secluded from other people and 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 so it's like we're, we we need it we, we need connection. We need a depth of connection within it. But what can transpire, there's a dehumanization that happens within community. Here are a few ways that that can look like. And I'm just trying to present a problem that we see uh, around us. But a dehumanizing community, here's what it can look like. We keep it too casual, uh, where we just kind of consume one another. You kind of come, you pop in and out of things, and uh, we don't show up like we should. We're not as committed as we should be to one another. It's just really casual. Our communities are really casual. Uh, we have a lack of engagement, and so in the church setting, it's like we don't serve, give, or grow. We just, we just kind of come, and we pop in. So we're casual, so we pop in, pop out. We consume what we want, and we leave, and there's not really a depth of connection. That lack of engagement also leads to a lack of curiosity with one another, and we don't appreciate the differences in different people's different cultures and, and contexts that begin to happen. And when you don't appreciate curiosity for one another, uh, what you'll get is a community of kind of sameness. It's like all, it's like homogenous. And uh, what sameness is, is actually a curse in the Bible. Uh, you know, it's uh, the Tower of Babel story is, is about, oh, everyone just wanted to be the same, where God made us diverse. And everyone just is like everything's just got to be the same, and and that's not what the Bible intends, and that's not what God intended. We're supposed to appreciate diversity and appreciate different contexts, contexts and and cultural expressions. That's the beauty of humanity. That's what it will be like in in heaven. And so uh, sameness is, is not what we desire, nor should we ever desire. You think about the problems in our own country. So much of it was revolved around sameness. And if you weren't part of the same kind of grouping of people, you got ousted in some kind of way. And, uh, you know, even over the next eight to nine months together, you'll see it in the kind of political world as we're heading into election, you're going to see a lot of like pushing us to sameness. That's what you'll see. And you use it as like a, a, a point to fight over. Um, but what, and that's a curse. But the blessing is appreciating context and cultural differences and different ethnicities and, and people's perspectives. But when we lack engagement, we're going to miss out on these things. Destructive words is another one. Obviously, social media has made us uh, more mean. Um, and we accept things that are uh, destructive. Uh, think about, uh, if you kind of process for a second, like how do you talk about people that are different than you? Or uh, you know, how do you stereotype people? Or um, how do you label people? Maybe you talk about people, like if, they're, if you're a female, the way you may, maybe talk about men or vice versa. Like what does that look like? And are those words destructive? Are they dehumanizing in any kind of way? I remember not that long ago, I was in a room. Well, it was in college, so it was a long, a long time ago. <laughs> ah! Uh, 
I was in college, and uh, I was over at a friend's house, and um, it was, we were watching uh, NFL football together. I was with his family. Uh, it was here in Virginia. And so this is in the late 1990s. And uh, I'm watching football, and his family is talking about how uh, a black quarterback could never win in the NFL because they're, they're not smart enough. And I'm thinking about, you know, they're, like, they're just athletic. And, and, and I was just, and I was thinking about it as I was writing my notes this week, and I was like, man, in my lifetime, the dehumanization like that has been so prevalent. This is not some foreign, like, long-ago thing. And so you, you see these things that we do with one another, and, and people, like, and it's not just a white-black thing or a black-to-white thing or a brown thing. or Like, it's, like, people, like, do this stuff all the time, dehumanizing one another. And, and it's, like, paying attention. It's, like, oh, when we do that, it's a curse. It is a curse. And so it becomes so important with our words. Uh, and the last thing is we become screen dependent. Are there more things than this, than these four? Yes, these are just the things that popped into my head. There are more things than this. You know, we become screen dependent in our communities and we see this a lot. I'm not saying to be anti-phone and like never touch your phone or anything like that. Uh, I enjoy reading articles. I enjoy some of that stuff too. But man, when we're screen dependent, it can dehumanize because you're not even picking up your eyes to look at one another. The amount of people now that I'm around that can't make eye contact when they're talking is insane. And so it, it's like, man, we're, we're becoming so dependent on a, a, a screen. Uh, again, we're the loneliest generation in history. Um, we begin to see like some of this that, this that our screens do, they make us distracted and delusional and disconnected. Is there a place that it can be good? Sure. But this is what we see with our screens. Like, think about like family dinners and what you see with people, or think about friends and times and how much that's shifted and changed. Uh, our kids uh, got a phone this year that when they got into high school, and were they the last kids in their grade? Maybe I don't know. Were they happy about it? No. And uh, but they had every right to want a phone. Like uh, they, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that desire. Uh, but what they what they will tell you is, and what we used to see a lot more was, you know, I remember two years ago they had a birthday party, and um, I remember seeing like several of their friends on their phones, and they weren't because they didn't have one. They had iPads at that point in time, so it'd be like weird to like to do that. But to see like the the lack of connection, like that, and it's not just a young person problem. You know, we see that with adults too. But it's like understanding that in these moments we're like dehumanizing one another because you can't fully engage and you can't fully see one another. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying throw your phone away and never use it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying become more aware because we're dehumanizing one another in, in the process. Throughout all that dehumanization, you start thinking like everything's so hateful. Like one of the things we see on social media or on TV or whatever is you think, man, the world is so hateful. I'm not so sure it's, it's as hateful as it seems because what we see in front of us, whether it's on whatever news you watch or on social media, it's such a small portion of actual human interaction. I'm not sure it's like as hateful as it is, but you do see that people are hurting and they're lonely, and they can't deal with things. And it reminded me of a quote I saw from James Baldwin not that long ago, and he said this, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. And it seems like, you know, when we're so disconnected and we're missing this, you know, uh, 
uh, attachment to one another, when we're missing uh, the depth of our humanity, it's like we can't even heal from pain. And so what we would rather do, it's easier just to hide from it. And it's easier just to hold on to hate rather than kind of deal with the reality of what's uh, in front of us. See, when you think about what the church should be in the midst of all of this, like we should, we should be the best at community. We should be. Now, are we always the best? No, uh, we're not. Uh, when Lacey and I, when, when I, when I, before I even met Lacey, when I first kind of re-entered back into the church after spending a little bit of a hiatus um, for multiple reasons, but when I came back into the church, one of the hardest parts was uh, I, I had such a strong community. Uh, my college baseball team was such a strong community. Even just after college, the people I hung out with, it was like a really strong community. I got into church, and, and, and the only thing I ever thought of in church was, man, this is a bunch of cliques, and you say it's family, but it ain't family. You say it's a team, and I think you've never been on a team. That's all I would ever think about. Because the, the church, my church experience coming out of that was like such, everything seems so fake. It wasn't real interactions with people. It didn't seem like people actually cared about one another. And, and, and that was like my experience. And so then I met Lacey and, uh, and then we, uh, and I had like some friends, but it wasn't like the depth of connection that should be there. And, and, and there were some good things in there too. It wasn't all bad, but, uh, and then we started dating and we got engaged and, and then married. And then we struggled just finding like really good friends for a long season of time at church. We served all the time. We actually ended up being on staff and then we, we started a youth ministry and eventually uh, started a college ministry. So with the college ministry in particular, we're like, let's just make them our friends and, uh, and, and, be, and be our community. And they were younger than us, but they became our people. And, uh, and many of them still are. And, and, and so, uh, and then eventually, it took about nine or 10 years for us to find like, good quality friends our age. And, and it was like fascinating to see that and be a part of that. And, and we have that now in our lives. But you start seeing that, man, just sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it, church is not the best at doing it. The culture isn't there. Um, there can be a mixture of different things. Uh, maybe some of it was us too. But, but we were like, we were, we were starving for it. And we needed this, this, this thing. And it's like, man, we're, why is this like this in, in church? Of all places, of all places. And why do I keep hearing people say things like, man, uh, my non-Christian friend actually showed me way more love than the Christian person that I know. Why is that? Because what that person is describing is that my Christian friend is actually not a blessing, that they are a curse. And you start seeing like, what does it, what does it mean? Like Jesus certainly taught very differently about it. And essentially what, we, what Jesus would teach is that a community that is a blessing sees, commits, and humanizes one another. Like we, we are committed to one another. We, we see one another. Like, you, like when um, there's a story in the Old Testament with Rahab or Hagar and, 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 and she, she thinks God has abandoned her everyone, and, and she, God comes and blesses her and she's like, oh, you are the God who sees. So if we embody the reality and the truth of Jesus, then we are people who see one another. One of the worst things you can do to someone else is not see them. That's why screens become such a big deal too because you, you can't really see people. But one of the worst things they can do, like every single person in this room, 
Like one of the things that we all need is to feel known, to be seen. Now I know in a room like this, not everyone's going to see one another. I get it. But we all need a couple of people to know us and to see us for who we are, just like God does. But that's what we should desire. That's what we should be putting out to other people and also receiving from one another. And I keep using this word dehumanization and humanizing because I don't want us to ever become desensitized to how this works. And so it's important as a community that we begin to do this because you think about what Jesus taught. I mean, look at this in John 13. He says this, a new command I give you to do what? As I have loved you. And this one right here is really important. Sometimes the reason that you don't, we aren't like having like a community of love. And again, we do this very well, y'all. Not perfectly, but we do this well as a community. But I'm, I'm trying to encourage and push us even further. But one of the reasons that we get prevented from loving people really well is we forgot that God actually loves us. When Jesus is speaking, he's like, I, I, I want you to feel and know how much I love you. Because when you feel and know how much I love you, then that's the love that you can then put out to someone else. But if you forget that part, then you won't be able to love others like you should. So I want you to know how much I love you. And it says, so you must want, uh, love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So what is, what is he saying there? If you are a blessing to be fruitful, to multiply, to love, uh, you're a blessing to one another. That's how people know you're one of my disciples. If you don't love one another, guess what you are? A curse. And guess what? No one's going to know you're one of my disciples because you're not loving. You're not like taking the step to be kind and generous and gracious and, and being a part of people's journeys and seeing people for who they are. Man, like, if you want to be, no, you can't, like a lot of people just say they're a Christian, but if they don't love people, they're not a disciple of Jesus. They just happen to know him by name. So it's about, man, it's about a depth of love that we challenge ourselves to. And to love people means to also love people that maybe you don't get along with perfectly. Maybe they're a little difficult. Or maybe your personality doesn't match up 100%. Or maybe they like different things than you do. But part of love is being curious. Part of love is, is understanding one another. Part of love is, is engaging people that maybe aren't the easiest people for you to be around. Because guess what? As amazing as you are, someone probably thinks you're tough to be around. <laughs> and so, so it's like just understanding that part of how this begins to work with one another Jesus also says this in John 15, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that, I love that phrase, you might go and bear what? Do you see what, I mean, the, the Bible is so cool. Like, it's, it's bringing us back to this idea of fruit. It's to be fruitful and multiply is a blessing. So it's like, man, if you follow what Jesus is talking about, we bear this fruit, fruit that will last, meaning it's eternal. 
And so that whatever you ask in my, in, in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, to love each other. Now, I know this verse gets typically talked about with war and everything else. It's not about war. It has nothing to actually do with that part of it. Um, because what Jesus is talking about is if you follow me, it's about, like, this is what it looks like to, to serve and sacrifice for one another. And, and I get it. They're, they're, I understand the reason why people talk about it when it comes to war. It just doesn't have anything to do with that. Because even, like, the reality Jesus teaches to love your enemies. So even in the context of war, this part doesn't even make sense. However, however, what we're seeing here is just, like, this is the command. Like, this is the kind of sacrifice that we should have for one another, to serve one another, to be generous to one another, to be gracious and kind to one another, to have this depth of love and connection that is commanded of us. That when we embody what Jesus taught and when we embody like, who he is, that this is what like, pours out of us, this kind of love and this kind of community. When I was thinking about um, this part, and uh, in, in you think about the dehumanization of, of different things and what takes place. And, and dehumanization means that what you're doing is uh, you're decreating things. So it's like more, it's not about life, it's, it's about death and kind of this culture of, when it's a curse, it's like a culture of death. And I was thinking about how, uh, you know, in these little moments, like how sacred like a moment like this is together, to gather together. Uh, there's something that transpires when you sing together. Uh, online is a beautiful tool. It is, and if you're watching online today, thank you for watching. Uh, and, it's, and it's a way to, to start to be connected, but you're actually not fully connected until there's a human connection. And so when we sing together, when we raise hands together, there was, there was this moment a, a couple months ago where we're singing More Than Able, and, and we talked about, you know, if you need a miracle in your life, um, raise your hands. And then uh, we're, like, we're all going to raise our hands together. And it's this beautiful moment of every hand raised in the entire room singing more than able together. You can only get that like in person together. You can't get it anywhere else. It's like these little moments are so sacred. It's this connection that begins to happen uh, together that set things in motion. You, you'll start to have, and the more you show up and the more consistent you are, you're in person. And I get it. Like, you know, you, you know how people start sitting in the same place all the time? Like, I, every Sunday, I know Mark's going to be right there. <laughs> if someone's in Mark's seat, I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. That could, that could get wild really quick. And, um, but I know, like, the clovers are going to sit right here. And, 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 like, you know, like, where people are sitting in the place. And sometimes, like, I want to switch seats. But you're like, I don't know. They usually sit there. But if I sit there, I don't know what's going to happen, right? And it's a weird thing that's in church culture. And I get all of that. But there is something about, like, the more you keep showing up, and then all of a sudden, you're out in, you know, you're, you're having dinner somewhere in Richmond. And because people are just kind of always around, you're like, hey. Don't you sit to the left of the stage all the time? And they're like, yeah, how did you know? It's like, I don't know, I sit on the right of the stage, I just look across and I see you all the time. I don't even know your name, but like, don't you go to Hill City? It's the beauty of connection. It's the beauty of, of showing up for one another. It's, it's this beautiful thing that starts to, to happen. And these little engagements become such a big deal. And um, I was thinking about this quote from Eugene Peterson, who, who said this. He said, the church is a colony of heaven in a culture of death. The church, that's where we're supposed to be. And again, y'all, as an encouragement, there's a lot of this that we do very well. Very well. This is not about coming down on anyone. This is just more, again, I want to like, light a fire and inspire us even more to see like, the beauty of all of this together. Uh, I was thinking about this part, and I'm going to 
close out here in just a minute. But I wanted to show you this clip um, from one of my favorite movies of all time called Good Will Hunting. And it's the scene where, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's a scene where Robin Williams and uh, a very young Matt Damon are uh, at the park. And I want you to see this because uh, there's some key elements in this, in this uh, clip where we start seeing this is what it means to really engage someone really well, love someone really well. Robin Williams, uh, who has not seen Goodwill Hunting? <sighs> um, all right, you're in high school, it's fine. You should still see it. You should watch it, okay? For, for the other, you, uh, the rest of you guys know. Robin Williams is a psychiatrist. Matt Damon is this genius from a poor neighborhood in Boston. And he's, he's got a lot of trauma. He's, he's, he's pretty broken. He has, prior to this, uh, really hurt Robin Williams. Like, it's really messed him up because he made fun of this painting, essentially, that was, like, really a pivotal thing for Robin Williams' life in connection to his wife, who had since passed. And so um, we pick up this scene uh, where we start seeing, like, oh, Matt's whole life has been, like, essentially in a cursed community and dehumanized. And, so, and that's what Matt Damon does to Robin. And watch how Robin uh, responds back to him. So let's take a look. So what's this? Taste his choice moment between guys. This is really nice. You got a thing for swans? Is this like a fetish? It's something like maybe we need to devote some time to. I thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting. Huh. I stayed up half the night thinking about it. Something occurred to me. I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep and haven't thought about you since. You know what occurred to me? No. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. Why, thank you. It's all right. You've never been out of Boston. Nope. So if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. I know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that. If I ask you about women, Probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. You may have even a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. When I ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watch him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help. I ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Known someone that could level you with her eyes feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you, who could rescue you from the depths of hell, and you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel. 
to have that love for her be there forever, through anything, through cancer. And you wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in a hospital room for two months, holding her hand, because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you. You don't know about real loss, because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine. You ripped my life apart. You're an orphan, right? Do you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are? Because I read Oliver Twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a about all that because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some book. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are. And I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. You move, Chief. There are a couple of things that we see in this, in this clip with, with Robin Williams and how he begins to approach this person. I, I love when he goes, I'm fascinated and I'm in. And I wonder how much or how often we engage one another like that. I'm fascinated and I'm in. And you know, at some point in time, of course there's this kind of reciprocal thing that has to happen, but it's like, I'm fascinated and I'm in. That's what Jesus has done for us, and that's what we're supposed to put out to other people. I'm fascinated, and I'm in. And, like, and there's this part where then he says right at the end, it's like, your move, chief. And for some of us in this room, that's the reality. Like, it's, it's your move, like you, whether or not to, have you been casual, too casual, or you're just lack of engagement, it's, it's your move. For others, it's like, no, you've got to, it's, it's your time to be like fascinated by one another. And to see what it, what it really is to see each other and to be in and, and part of the story. And I just want to highlight a few quick things here. Here are three indicators of a community that's a blessing and not a curse. There's stability, vulnerability, and commitment. I'm not going to go into those a ton, but I just want to put those in front of you. Stability, vulnerability, and commitment. Stability uh, is this reality. You know, we live in a world of wanderers and explorers, and there's a part of that that's okay because there's curiosity involved. But we need stability. Stability is, is what sets the foundation. Uh, St. Benedict uh, was a monk, and he talks about the vow of stability and how important that is to really make a difference, to really be connected to a community, to really be connected to other people. You need stability. 
and to understand what that can transpire. I'm not talking about, sometimes people are like, oh, stability is so boring. Well, stability without curiosity is boring. Stability without curiosity is complacency. Stability without curiosity is you, you're entering a world of state, sameness. But stability with curiosity means like you're fascinated and you're in, but there's a grounding to who you are. Vulnerability is another piece to this that we, we really see. Vulnerability is, is you know, he's, he's tapping into so much of, of Matt Damon's story as an, an orphan, and, but he's also being vulnerable himself, exposing what the desires of his heart are and what his life is really about. We see this so much, uh, you know, Jesus is teaching at, at one point, uh, he has John, uh, his, one of his disciples, uh, John the Baptist, is, is there, and John has disciples himself, and at one point in time, uh, some of John's disciples see Jesus, and so John is like, hey, that's the guy I'm talking about, that's the Lamb of God, and they all go running near Jesus and go up to him, and Jesus turns to them, and he goes, what do you want? And in that moment, he's asking them, what's the desire of your heart? I want to, like, I want you to be vulnerable while you're actually following me. What's really going on? I'm fascinated by who you are, and I'm in, but I need to know like, what you're about. So there's a vulnerability that, that begins to transpire within a healthy community, a life-giving community, a community that's actually a blessing. And that community, and I get it, vulnerability is not easy for many reasons, and you don't need to be vulnerable with everyone. I say this all the time. Like, you do need some people to be vulnerable with. Not everyone. Like, if you meet someone at two minutes to talk, and, you're, and that's not the time, right? And so, um, but man, you do need a couple of people in your life. And so that's what a healthy community is. That's what a, a, a community that's a blessing. And then you need to be committed to one another. Committed to grow, committed to learn, committed to train, committed to show up, committed to, uh, to, to again, to be fascinated and to be in. Like, that's what a community that is a blessing to each other is. Like, listen, loving one another is an act of worship. Loving one another is an act of worship because we are embodying the truth of who Jesus is. One of my favorite things that someone might say about our church is, uh, and I've heard it over the years, and, and they'll say something like this. There's just something different about the place. And, you know, I could, you can spiritualize that and think, it's the Spirit of God. You know, you could do that. I think that's true. Uh, and then there's something different about that place. And it doesn't mean that everything's all willing. We have systems and structures, and, and we want to know if something gets broken, how to fix it. We care about that stuff, and we care about excellence and whatever. But, but there's something beautiful about that phrase. There's something different about that place. And when people say that, it, I, I think what they're saying is, what I'm experiencing in the community is counter to what's outside of it. Because what's outside of it is a culture of death and dehumanization and a curse. But what's inside of this community is a blessing. And man, that feels different. But it comes with a fascination of one another. It comes with a willingness to be in with one another. It comes with the idea of embracing the truth of being to love one another. It comes with this idea of like, I want to be a blessing to you and you want to be a blessing to me and all that means. And all that entails. And we become part of it together. And that's where we become fruitful and we multiply. Let's pray. God, we are... uh, grateful for what you're doing in this community. Uh, 
grateful for um, all the people that you continue to bring here, all the stories, all the faith journeys. Um, my prayer, God, is that we want to be a blessing as a community. We want to be fruitful. We want to multiply. We, I pray that we want to be fascinated with one another because you're fascinated with us. I pray that we would want to fully embrace the reality that to love one another well is an act of worship. It's an act of embodying the life and the teachings of Jesus. It's an act of showing our faith in what we actually believe in and proof that we are true disciples of Jesus. I pray that we will want to be a, ble- a blessing. If if we are somehow shortchanging our community, I pray that we want to step into what it means to be a blessing and turn away from what it means to be a curse. God, I also just want to celebrate um, the goodness of roughly nine and a half years of this community. And man, there's so many elements of this teaching that we really do well, whether it's in community groups or on Sunday mornings or in our discipleship groups kids ministry, youth ministry, like there's so many different elements that kind of pour into this. But God, I pray just in, that we will, like every single one of us will just be a little more sensitive, uh, a little more open, and a little more fascinated. That's when we're going to see one another well, discover more of you in the process, God, and the fullness of life will be truly fantastic. And in the words of Robin Williams, I guess it's just our move, Chief. And so, um, God, we thank you for what you're doing. Love you. And we give those to you. And we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen. Um, if you guys uh, have prayer needs, there'll be people on either side. Um, if you're new, we'd love to meet you on your way out. Um, don't forget Tima Palooza uh, is happening after the second service, which is a way to serve. Uh, love you all so much. We'll see you next week. <laughs>